Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 91 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and in this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the impacts of a long-distance through-hike. Now, over the years, I've undertaken a number of two-week-long hikes varying distances, with the longest being my 230-kilometre Larapinta trail hike in 2016. So in 2018, when I decided that I was going to solo hike the Bibbulmun Track, I knew that the trips that I'd previously undertaken weren't going to provide me with a valid frame of reference. In fact, all I had to go on was anecdotal information based on other blogs and podcasts that I've been researching over the last four years, in particular from the mecca of long-distance hiking in the US. Now, knowing the theory is one thing, but experiencing it is another. So in this podcast, we're going to discuss the mental and physical impacts of undertaking a long-distance thru-hike. So before we start, what do you mean by a long-distance through-hike? Um, about a year ago, I asked our readers in a, a, a Facebook poll what constituted a long-distance hike, and we received um, a wide range of answers. But from my perspective, um, and this is purely my perspective, um, I consider a long-distance hike being over 500 kilometers in length, uh, uh, distance-wise, and over four weeks or longer time-wise. Now, this is a purely arbitrary figure, but I just find that hikes with uh, that I've done in the past of two weeks, I tend to spend the first week um, winding down and then the second week thinking about going back to work. So and this has been a pattern that has repeated itself on, on virtually all the two-week hikes that I've gone through and done. It's like a typical holiday, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Now, doing a big uh, big distance hike in its entirety over multiple weeks, so what's called the through hike, uh, and walking 150 kilometres a week um, and averaging over 20 kilometres a day is an entirely different process than doing a shorter hike. So I know before you did your hike, you did a lot of training. What did you do and why did you do it? Well, I'm a, I mean, as probably people are aware, I'm a, a bit of an obsessive planner. Uh-huh. Uh, so. You have not – people would have no idea about this And when we go on a normal overseas holiday and Tim's got this little notebook full of bits of paper and uh, what's going to happen when and, uh, you know, everything is documented down to the last degree. So um, – yeah, so from my perspective, what I needed to know, I, I, I tend to like to know all the information I can up front. And in this case, um, you know, for doing a five-week-long hike, I wanted to know what my personal limitations were. So things like how far was I capable of hiking in a single day? How well could I back this up over a series of days? How many calories do I burn when I'm hiking? And, and as such, how much food do I need to carry? Now, in saying this, there is no right answer here. And really what I'd probably uh, put up on this one is the answer is your answer and it's what suits you. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably an important point to make that 
you know, there is a lot of advice out there about, you know, what's reasonable, um, what's excessive, uh, what's not hard line enough. But the reality is it's whatever suits you. So, Tim, what did you learn about your physical um, abilities and the limits that you had from your training hikes? Well, as I said, I, I, I am a bit of an obsessive planner, so I spent around about two, two and a half years trying to work out what my limits were. So the things I learned before I undertook my through hike was that I was um, capable of walking an average pace of 3.75 kilometers per hour with a full pack. Uh, and it's a conservative sort of pace. It might I can certainly walk faster than that, but 3.75 kilometers does quite well. I know I'm capable of walking over 40 kilometers a day over multiple days, providing I'm fit enough. Um, I And the only way I can describe this is I walk funny. <laughs> yep, um, yep. <laughs> so, so on multiple days over 25 kilometers, there's two issues that I know tend to impact on me. I will get blisters on my toes, and without fail, it's always the left little toe is where I develop the blisters first. Um, my left foot is my bigger foot. Um, I actually realized a while ago that I grip with my toes when I walk and it doesn't matter what footwear I'm wearing. It's just, I like to have good purchase on the ground. So, um, that left little toe is the one that tends to take most of the impact. Um, and just on that, my in gingy socks, my toe socks mean I don't get blisters on my toes, Tim. <laughs> you might want to try that one day. At some point. Um, the other thing is, again, with distances over 25 kilometers on a single day, on, on multiple days, I develop hot spots on the balls of my feet. So that's where I tend to put most of my pressure. My ideal hiking weight is 93 kilograms. Um, and um, typically, I tend to always start my hikes a bit higher than that. Um, I know from experience that on 25 kilometer plus days, I'll average around five and a half thousand calories anywhere up to about 8,000 calories of energy expenditure. And and just in case people are wondering, I go into, I'm not sure if it's calorie deficit, but uh, the more calories Tim uses, the less I use. <laughs> There's a family thing happening there. <laughs> um, and so for each 200 gram de deficit, um, as far as food in and food out, I average losing around about 100 grams of weight. Now, these sort of figures, uh, the calorie usage and the uh, the calorie deficit were based on my Fitbit. I uh, was keeping a fairly a good food diary for 18 months uh, and then comparing that to my calorie usage, and that was what the, the figures ended up being. Now, something I've learned over a, a, a about a 12-year period that on, on an average two-week hike, I'll lose around about seven to eight kilograms. So my big concern... Um, and probably my biggest concern was what was a five-week hike going to do with me? Um, you know, that was a that was a real worry, and this was probably the the one of the 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 limiting factors or the deciding factors, if you like, on deciding how fast I was going to be moving uh, and how quickly I wanted to finish the hike. And I think um, certainly um, from my perspective, as I said, it's you know if I'm losing. Um, you know, if I'm losing roughly uh, four, roughly three to four kilos a week, um, there is only so much weight that I can afford to lose. So there's ultimately a, an end point to probably how long I can possibly hike. 
uh, unless I can find some way of dramatically increasing the food that I take in on a hike. A few years ago, we were hiking overseas in Bhutan and there was a fellow there who, he, he was from England and he used his annual hiking holiday as, I think it, the only way to describe it is is a way to uh, standardise maybe his weight. Um, and he lost a huge amount of weight over a 16-day um, period and that that was kind of how he maintained his check. So he'd spend the year getting heavier, heavier and heavier uh, and then would go on a, on a long hike uh, to lose weight and not, not uh, necessarily the healthiest thing to do, but um, certainly I probably wouldn't recommend that. The other issue that I had was my concern was the development of hotspots. Um, and this was something I only really uh, became aware of in 2016 when I did the Lara Pinta Trail and then um, the year after when I did a uh, the Canberra Centenary Trail, um, which was 145 kilometres in three days. And the, the issue with hotspots was a concern for me. It was like, how do I actually manage to do the distance I was, I, I'm planning and maintain uh, my foot health. I was going to say, you, you're talking about hot spots on your feet now. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, it, it's always on the balls of my foot, um, and I know it is an issue, so it's something I had to learn how to deal with. Now, a contributing factor from my perspective is that for me, exercise is a um, an appetite suppressant. Um, there is actually a condition that particularly affects um, elite athletes, and I don't uh, claim to be at that level by any means but um, for a lot of people they exercise they want to eat for me I exercise and I want to stop eating um, so it's trying to force myself to eat enough food uh, so that I maintain my weight. So you've talked about all that preparation and now that it's all done um, what was the outcome? Okay so Really what I learned uh, over a, a five-week, thousand-kilometer period was that I um, am quite comfortable hiking uh, over the 40-kilometer mark if need be, and I averaged around about 31 uh, kilometers per day, uh, and this was certainly my aim. Um, I did allow myself six weeks to do the hike, so I allowed a bit of um, uh, buffer just in case, but I planned on finishing the hike in five weeks, which is what I did. My moving average, and this is probably where I picked up um, uh, a bit of extra time on my trip, uh, my moving average ended up being 4.25 kilometres. A um, bit faster than I, I thought it was going to be. I originally thought beforehand I'd move it around about 3.75 kilometres per hour. Uh, but I think doing uh, measuring this over a five-week period, it now gives me a really good indicator of how fast I can move. And you were probably faster at the end than you were at the beginning. Yeah, no, I think in some respects, I think because of the terrain, uh, my fastest day was probably I was moving at around about six and a half kilometres per hour, but this was on a 17-kilometre road diversion. So it was fairly flat, level sort of ground. Um, I didn't have to fight with terrain or going up hills or soft sand. pretty boring. Yeah, it was. So, <laughs> it was nothing to do but walk. So I was moving pretty quickly on that day. So um, I'm certainly capable of moving, doing faster, but... When I've got the, the when I'm not pushed to do a certain sort of distance or time, uh, I tend to settle in around about that 4.25 kilometers per hour. My peak fitness was reached by week three, 
And this is where, coming back to a comment I made in the introduction, the term through hike basically means that you walk the entirety of a hike from one end to the other, and it doesn't have to be in sequential order, but you do the hike all in one go. The other term you'll often hear used is uh, section hike, where people will do sections or components of a hike, and they might do it over a period of months or even a period of years, and they still end up doing the whole trip, but they don't do it in one go. Now, the benefit of doing a through hike, and as I said, for me, I reach peak fitness by week three. So if I was just doing it a week at a time or even two weeks at a time, I'd reach a level of fitness, not quite reach my peak, come back and six months later, I have to build my fitness level back up again. So this is one of the biggest benefits of doing a, a through hike as opposed to a section hike. The food that I averaged carrying and eating was around about 2,800 calories a day. And this basically ended up being a 3,000 calorie deficit per day. Uh, and again, as, is, as I said earlier, I was really concerned about the potential weight loss on the trip. And in fact, I actually ended up losing 15 kilos in 36 days, which averaged around about three kilos a week. To counter this, I, as much as possible, I'd eat up big in town. So I got to um, one of the town stops. Uh, I went and bought food uh, and just sort of camped myself in my motel room, uh, just doing social media and playing catch up. And um, uh, I ended up uh, eating my my planned lunch for morning tea, going out and getting McDonald's for lunch. So I, you know, I probably ended up eating the equivalent of two days food that I would be eating on when I was hiking in one day sitting in a hotel room. Now, I'm just trying to work out how this is different to any other day mm-hmm. that you're sitting in a hotel room, but hey. <laughs> um, one of the comments, and this is, this is uh, uh, something that I'll look at for the next long hike that I do, my nutritionist who um, I'd gone and seen before the uh, hike had recommended that if I was anywhere near a chemist, that I go in and ask for a product called Polyjewel. And this is a powder that you can add to food or liquid uh, that basically adds calories. And this is this is something that most people probably don't look for is, is how do I add more calories to my diet? Um, but this is aimed for particularly for young children or for um, older people that aren't eating enough. Uh, and it's a way of getting calorie intake. So I didn't get an opportunity to try it on this hike, but I certainly will next time and see if it makes a difference to my weight loss. By the end of the hike, I'd actually ended up, um, I'd, uh, my BMI, my body mass index was 26%, which does sound high, but I've got a fairly high percentage of, of muscle. So uh, this was a reduction of 2.6% before the trip. Body fat uh, at the end of the trip was 9%, uh, and this was reduced from 11.8% before the trip. So as I said, even though the BMI was high, uh, when testing for a body fat, uh, and this was professionally done, um, I was definitely losing body fat and, and lost and had lost that weight. That, that's a bit of a statement about the difference between using BMI as a, as a guide to um, fitness and muscle tone. Um, versus doing a, a body fat measurement? The the disadvantage of the weight loss, apart from, I mean, losing weight in itself wasn't a big issue. I mean, it's it's there is a limit. Uh, I mean, if I had been doing a hike of, say, twice the length of, you know, doing 10 weeks and 2,000 kilometres as an example, 
that would have been a real issue because I certainly couldn't have afforded to lose another 10 to 15 kilos on what I'd already lost. The disadvantage of losing the weight, though, was that I found by the end of the trip, my pack, which was quite comfortable at the start of the trip, was digging into my shoulders uh, because all the padding had actually disappeared. Um, so something I hadn't really thought about before. Uh, again, as I said, my pack was quite comfortable and not a problem, but by the end of it, it was starting to dig in a bit. Now, apart from the physical impact, um, how did you cope mentally? This was interesting, and and, and this is, um, as I said, I hadn't done a hike of this length before. Um, I am quite comfortable being by myself, so I didn't think it was going to be an issue. <laughs> now, yeah, Tim likes his own company. <laughs> and I certainly do. You know, I love, love being in the company of people as well, but I'm also happy to be by myself. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I did a bit of research in, in, in preparing for this podcast and, prepare, and preparing for writing the written version of the podcast and discovered that the figures being bandied around that an individual has around about 60,000 individual thoughts per day. <laughs> now, there seems to be some disagreement to how accurate this figure is, but the lowest figure I could find was around about 12,000 thoughts per day, which is, you know, you just don't think about it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that go well, through. Well, apparently you do. <laughs> like, well, I did. I did on this one. And, and one of the reasons I looked up this sort of stuff, I actually did a search, a search on how many thoughts do people have a day. And I think it was because for most of the five weeks that I did on this hike, I spent, um, with the exception of probably um, four hours out of five weeks, I was hiking by myself. So... I was talking to people at the end of the day at the shelters, not always, but when they were there. Um, but I think um, uh, what ended up happening was I had this huge amount of time to think about the problems of the world, what I was doing, why I exist, all that sort of stuff. And it's just, um, uh, if, if you've, I think just in modern, the modern day, we've just got too much noise going on, TV, uh, socialising, everything else that's going on, we don't tend to have a lot of time just to think. Uh, and I think for me, the the biggest um, benefit or the biggest bonus for doing a hike is the time to actually think. Um, so for some people, this solitude can be overwhelming. Um, and if that's you, then solo hiking may not be an option. And it's one of these sort of things that, you know, when you're planning to do a hike, do you do this with somebody else? Do you do this by yourself? That's something you really need to work out before you, you start launching into a hike of this sort of length and distance. I think the other thing is, though, um, even if you're not doing solo hiking and you are hiking with someone else, particularly over a long period of time, there are moments when you really uh, would like to be alone and would like to be within your own thoughts. So Tim and I have this rule when we're hiking together uh, that says that we'll stay within a visual sight of each other. Um, and as you can imagine, when that's in an open plain, that's a pretty big distance. Um, when it's a bit of closed vegetation, it's much, um, much closer and much more um, intimate. But it's because sometimes you just need a bit of distance and you need a bit of space. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, when we see people on the trail, they they think they do need to hang together and they don't necessarily have to be that close all the time. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with this one. I mean, I, I made a conscious... Well, there was a couple of three things with the doing a long-distance hike. I did ask Jill if she wanted to come along on this one. <laughs> and I thought going to work was probably a better option, but anyway. <laughs> and, and I think that's it. You know, the, the, this was the longest holiday I've had in 40 years, um, you know, from really from about 15 years old and onwards, I was, I was working in my school holidays. Um, so this is the first time I'd ever had five weeks off that I wasn't uh, as a holiday uh, and five weeks off that I wasn't working. Um, Most so, people wouldn't have thought this was a holiday for five weeks, but anyway. Yeah. So uh, and it's, it's one of those sort of things that um, uh, hiking with somebody else is very different than hiking by yourself. I find from a mental perspective, what tends to happen is when I'm hiking with somebody else, uh, which is typically Jill, um, I tend to think about where Jill is, what she's doing. uh, And as a result, I I, I just tend to slow down. I just tend to hike differently than when I'm walking by myself. So when I'm walking by myself, I go into autopilot. Um, I will quite happily go into my own head, let my body worry about what's happening on the hike. Um, I'm still paying attention to the trail. I, I'm looking. You know, I spent five weeks constantly looking for snakes. Uh, didn't <laughs> d- didn't see any, but uh, it doesn't mean they I saw wasn't, you. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't mean I wasn't looking for them. So um, yeah, it's. Um, I think certainly the the mental the mental side of things um, uh, makes a big difference. So so is that why you didn't hike with someone else uh, when you're on the track, or it just didn't happen? I think, well, I think certainly, I mean, I'd planned on doing the hike by myself anyway. I did it in what was um, earlier than uh, the, the, the the hiking peak, if you like. Uh, most people uh, uh, hike um, a bit later in the season than I did. So I certainly had a number of nights where I spent, um, I was sleeping by myself with no one else in the cabin uh, or the shelters. Um, and I think... Um, Certainly, as I said, I was hiking. The longest I was hiking with someone was probably for about two and a half hours, um, but my pace was slightly faster than his, uh, and I think he eventually he decided he wanted to slow down a bit. I didn't want to start hanging back, uh, and he, I, I saw him at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty – I was actually going against the flow of traffic as well. So, um, you know, coming across people going the same direction – uh, I never actually overtook anybody, uh, but I um, uh, I certainly um, uh, had only, only saw one person travelling the same direction that I was. I think there's a bit in here about hiking your own hike as well. I mean, I think that's what I heard you um, talk about in terms of pace and in terms of, you know, what was interesting to you and uh, the intent to solo hike. Yeah, I think it, I think it was, and, and as I said, it was really a decision about. Uh, I, I didn't want to have to worry about if I planned on going with somebody else and I got injured. I didn't want to ruin their hike, or I didn't want if they got injured to to impact on my hike. So <laughs> that's um, very generous of you. <laughs> so I, I think I think hiking solo, as I said, it's you either like it or you don't. Um, and and in some respects, as Jill said, it's really about why are you hiking. Um, and I think from my perspective, I enjoy being in nature. I enjoy looking at the scenery. Um, you know, I, I had some spectacular views on the hike, 
But as I said, for me, the biggest thing that I got out of this was the time to think um, and to think all sorts of things through. Uh, and, you know, my body just did what it wanted to do speed-wise. And um, uh, a lot of people would think I was traveling quite fast, which I was, uh, but it just suited what I wanted to do. So hiking a thousand kilometers is a real mental challenge. Um, when you were actually on the on the track, how did you, how did you plan for that? I think my strategy was to not think that I had a thousand kilometers to go. <laughs> so certainly in the first day, that was it. It was I'm starting a thousand kilometer hike, and this is uh, I've got that to go. But I think what I ended up doing was I'd planned on um, doing a certain number of kilometers each day. And as I said, I was averaging around about that 31, 32 kilometers per day. Some days were bigger, some days were smaller. Um, But I didn't sort of approach the day to um, thinking, well, I've got 40 kilometers or 30 kilometers to walk today. Generally, what I tended to do was think about it in relation to two hikes a day. So I'd um, say, okay, by lunchtime, I've got a hike of 15 to 20 kilometers. And I'd do that. I'd stop for a break and it might have only been, you know, 15, 20 minutes for lunch. And then it would be right. I've now got an afternoon hike of 15 to 20 kilometers. And I think um, that sort of made things much easier than trying to think, well, I've got 30 to 40 kilometers to walk in a day, even though that's what I knew I was doing, going to be doing. Um, The other thing as well is, I didn't really think about um, the fact I was averaging 200 kilometers a week. It was more about I've got seven days or six days, depending on how many days I was hiking within a week. Um, and, you know, I, I was looking at, well, I've only, I've only going, I'm going to think about the next 40 kilometers, which just happened to be two 20 kilometer hikes. And I think that works quite well. And I know other people who do similar sorts of things, it just makes things much easier to work with. The other other thing I suppose is I um, I didn't have my alarm set on my watch. I just woke up when I woke up. Usually in the real world, uh, I will wake up at around about four thirty and get up, uh, and I go to the gym or I I, I do whatever I, I'm doing on the morning. But on the trail, what I ended up doing was I'd wake up whenever that happened to be, and that that this usually would means that I'd be waking up around about the 5, 30, 6 o'clock mark because it was still reasonably dark at the time of the year when I was doing my hike. Um, I um, was um, uh, getting up, um, having breakfast, checking social media, and I was going through a routine. So the routine pretty much became habit and it wasn't something I sort of consciously decided, right, this is what I'm going to do every morning. It's just something I just fell into. So um, uh, it was rare that I ever got away when I thought I was going to. Um, you know, I tended to get up, have, as I said, have breakfast, sit there, do social media, um, and I'd always end up getting away 15 to 20 minutes after I thought I would do. Um, but it, um, it, you know, this, this pattern it just helped me go into a bit more into autopilot, so it wasn't like, what have I got to do tomorrow morning? Um, it was just that you just, it was just – you know, do one day and then repeat 36 times. <laughs> now, I think we've um, we talked about in one of the earlier podcasts uh, about, I guess, my, my sense of, um, uh, I don't know, p- d- disappointment or um, something missing uh, when we went to um, – 
the trailhead at the end of the Bibbulmun track. And I just had this moment of thinking, you know, you you would have come out of the bush and, uh, you know, it would have been, ta-da, here, here is the end of the trail and across the road is a, um, uh, a supermarket car park and lots of people coming and going and doing, doing their business. But there was nobody there waiting for you and I, I did feel a little bit sad for a moment um, about that. So at the end of, of the hike, how did you... How did you manage the hike slump that's so widely discussed in uh, the the US by hikers? And this is this is one of these things that, that as, as I said, the US tends to be the mecca for long distance hiking. Um, we are certainly getting into it in Australia, but when you've got things like the Pacific Crest Trail and uh, the Continental Divide Trail and the Appalachian Trail and a number of others, um, people who do long distance hike the numbers are just far greater i mean and in, and in, you know in part that's to do with a much bigger population as well um but the the information that tends to come out on these hikes tends to be us based rather than australian based so i you know in preparing for this hike a lot of the information i had to source was coming from the us uh there really was nothing that was australian done so as as jill said from a us perspective there tends to be this uh, uh, this slump effect that um, tends to, to knock people about at the end of a long-distance hike, that they've been doing something for so long, uh, uh, it's almost like a sense of loss uh, at the end of the hike that you know the thing you've been doing and um, living and breathing is no longer there. So for me, I up until even the day before uh, or two days before the end of this hike, I it didn't really mean anything to me. It was just like, well, yep, I finished in a couple of days and didn't think about it. Um, but I think um, the last day I only had 10 kilometres to do and that was deliberate. I um, I didn't want to end up turning up to the trailhead at, at 6 or 6.30 at night the previous day. I just wanted to have a, a fairly cruisy sort of last day. And for me, those last 10 kilometres were the slowest of the whole trip. Uh, I was almost looking for any excuse not to finish. Um, I stopped around about 10 minutes after I left the uh, the last shelter to record social media, and I found the emotion hit me quite quite heavily. And I think everybody else who was watching as well, Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was one of those sort of things. I, you know, I tried to record this last video on the trail before I reached the trailhead, and it took me, I think, around about 14 attempts I then gave up and walked on a couple of hundred metres and tried again and managed to get it done that time because it just forced me to think about what was happening on the hike or the fact the hike was about to finish. Uh, and, yeah, it just surprised me how much it did actually impact me. As far as finishing concerned, it was a bit it was a bit interesting, actually. And it's sort of, um, you know, there is a trailhead there. It's been re-landscaped. It's quite, a, quite an attractive little trailhead and... As far as trailheads goes, it's it's pretty good, but it was almost a bit of an anticlimax. It was a there was a, there was elation that I'd finished and I'd achieved what I'd set out to, but there was also the as Jill said, you know, it would have been nice I think to have somebody meet me there just to say look, well done, um, and that was just a, an, an odd thing that I hadn't actually thought about. So it was almost like I got there, I stood, took photos, I did some recording, and it was almost like is this it? So 
I think that was something that I hadn't really thought about and hadn't really considered. So it's been a couple of months now. Um, what's what what have you been thinking um, in the last few months? Uh, what's what's been difficult to um, get into or back into the swing of things with? And um, I'll also ask what what are your biggest takeaways from doing a long distance hike? All right, I'll go. I'll go into those um, um, uh, in, in a particular order, only because it's just easier for me to process. I suppose at the end of the trip, I was probably the physically the fittest I'd been in years, and certainly weight wise, I was the lightest I'd been in over twenty five years. Um, I, you know, at, at at an earlier stage in my life, probably around about twenty five years ago, uh, I had around about four and a half five percent body fat. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of exercise, a lot of work. Um, it's been a long time since I've been that light uh, and that that um, lean. That, that lean. <laughs> um, I lost bot, uh, muscle mass on the hike, which is not unexpected. Um, I've got a front fairly broad across the shoulders and chest, uh, but when you're on a hike and all the energy and the exertion is going into your legs, um, you know, I certainly was aware, as I said, by the uh, the fact that the pack was starting to become a bit more uncomfortable at the end of the trip. But I feel pretty good, um, you know, and certainly physically um, there's no, you know, I haven't got shot knees or bad tendons or, or bad feet after the hike. You know, I, you know it's physically, uh, I'm probably not even aware that I've done the hike as such. Um, the weight that I lost, um, I've put it all back on again. Uh, and in fact, uh, over the last few days, I managed to actually hit the highest I'd probably been in about 10 years. So, um, you know, it's, it's getting back into a routine that you're eating certain types of food, including lots of peanut butter, which is really high in calories. Um, and I know that, unfortunately, as much as I love peanut butter, I can't eat it after a hike because I just eat too much of it and it, it is loaded with calories. So um, you know, getting back into a, a routine as far as eating, that's taken me a while. And it seems to be something that listening to the US-based podcasts and reading the US-based blogs, that it's something that most people after a long-distance hike will go through. They'll lose a lot of weight and they'll put it all back on again or most of it back on again within a couple of months of the trip. I think what's changed me um, probably the biggest thing has been the mental uh, state. Uh, And I was aware, as, as I said, just from doing the research before my hike about what I was going to expect but I think the biggest thing that I've come away with has been um, uh, I'm a bit more focused on what I want to achieve in both my personal and professional life. Um, but I think the um, I've always had those things in mind before the trip, but now it's sort of like I'm not willing to wait uh, for those things to happen. Um, you know, I don't want to wait until I retire to do things. Um, instead, I want to do them now. Um I think I've come back from my experience with more surety on what I want and the determination to make it happen, uh, which is a positive thing, I think. Um, So I think, quite honestly, I I look at life uh, through a different lens now than when uh, when I went away before the trip. Um, And the things that I was willing to accept prior to my trip really are no longer palatable. Basically, I just need to work out how how to go through and achieve it.
Now, you may not choose to do big distances, um, but providing you allow yourself enough time to build up your fitness and to minimize the weight that you carry, you can deal with the physical side of things uh, on a, a long distance through hike. I think they're all fairly achievable. So from my perspective, as I said, the physical stuff can be managed so long as you train. And, and again, what that means is going to be a very much a personal thing. Um, don't try and do what other people are doing just because that's what you think you should do. It's really going to be what suits you as an individual. I think the mental side is a totally different beast here. And for me, the takeaway I got on this trip uh, was that I learned what's really important in life and not to underestimate the importance of this. The scenery, as I said, was just a bonus. As much as I love nature and love being outside, um, uh, it really was about the mental, uh, the mental solitude and the chance to think that really was a big bonus for me. If you're into reading US-based pod, uh, hiking articles and listening to podcasts, you'll see a number of articles titled Through Hiking Ruined My Life. And from my experience, it's been just that, but it's been in a positive way. Um, I think it's uh, it's probably has not, not ruined my life is probably not the right term, but it certainly changed it. So I think if you're going to do a long distance multi week hike, be prepared for your thought processes to be altered forever. Um, and if you are doing four, five, six weeks uh, or more, and doing those you know five hundred plus kilometres, uh, your life will never be the same again, and you'll be glad for it. Okay, so if you want a more detailed version of this podcast, uh, the written version, including a number of other things which we didn't go into in this uh, this uh, episode, is available at our website at www.australianhiker.com.au. Our next episode is due for release on Wednesday, the 2nd of January, uh, and we'll be doing a media review on a range of hiking-related movies for that one. So this was something a bit different uh, while we're still in that holiday mode. As always, you can listen to this podcast through our website, through SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify and iTunes. And if you have the chance, please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. The food that I carried averaged around about 2,800 kilometres per day.